You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the accursed in the name of Allah the gracious and merciful. Peace be upon you, good morning, and welcome to the breakfast show of the Voice of Islam with uh, Imam Tawqeet Ali Khan, Jalis Khan, and myself, Walid Ahmed. The uh, time is three minutes past seven. It's coming up to four minutes past seven, Friday the 24th of November 2023. The uh, um, uh, breakfast show is a, is an interactive broadcast. It means that uh, our listeners have the opportunity to uh, call in and uh, raise any concerns or share any thoughts that may, they may have on anything that we may be covering. Uh, if they don't want to call in, they can certainly use the more modern method of communicating uh, the uh, what used to be called the Twitter or X and post their thoughts on that. Voice of Islam UK is the X handle, if I can put it that way. Uh, there are going to be a devi- uh, variety of different subjects that we're going to be exploring this morning. Uh, we'll be looking through some of the news stories that are circulating around uh, both within the uh, Ahmadi Muslim community and uh, elsewhere. Um, if you've had have any thoughts on that, then of course do, do call in as mentioned before. Um, and then uh, at around 7:30, uh, we will be uh, honing in on two topics that we <coughs> generally select and deal with uh, in some detail. The first of these uh, is uh, regarding something that we do every day: rest or, or sleep, to be exact. Uh, how much do you think we need? Uh, is uh, uh, sleep quality more important than quantity? Um, so uh, we hope that our listeners uh, will have something to say on that and uh, call in and share their thoughts. Um, and if you're interested in that, uh, then uh, do make a point of remaining tuned in during that period between 7.30 and around 8.15. We may adjust uh, these times a little bit um, so that we can uh, fit in uh, everything that we will be covering. But around 7.30 to 8.15 uh, roughly is when we will be covering that particular topic about sleep. And as far as our second topic is concerned, well, it's regarding the uh, anxiety over our cardiovascular health that is felt in certain circles. Uh, among the contributing factors is a high degree of cholesterol and a recent study suggests that most adults should receive treatment for high cholesterol and that's the title of our second main topic and we hope to discuss this with um, a number of experts. Bridget Jensen, we hope, will be joining us. She's an experienced sleep consultant from Better Bedtime. Uh, Janice Jenner is also uh, uh, um, is also um, 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 expected to uh, be um, joining us. Uh, she's a sleep consultant and founder of uh, Hanna Rosa. And uh, thirdly, we have Mandy Gurney. Uh, Mandy is an experienced healthcare professional and founder of Milpon Children's Sleep Clinic. And uh, if you have anything to say on this topic, uh, once again, please do ring in 020-687-7878 is the number on the, uh, uh, what can I say, the Twitter handle, or what used to be the Twitter handle, the X handle, to post your thoughts uh, in uh, the more modern ways, Voice of Islam UK. Um, so clearly we have uh, a lot to cover. Um, so let's get on with the show with, uh, first of all, Imam Tokit and Weir, and then uh, Imam Jalis Khan. Over to you, sir. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. 
But we do hope that you know your the listeners are having a great day this morning. Um, and very cold, isn't it? Very, very cold indeed. Yeah. Um, Especially if we've been up uh, <laughs> to warmer parts and come back from holiday. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, th- I, I do want to ask you about it. That is okay. that is a question I, uh-huh. I've been uh, uh, waiting to ask you, okay. uh, Brother Walid. But I'll start <laughs> off with the weather. Okay. Uh, so the the weather forecast today um, is that we'll see a wind, uh, a windy start with showers in the far north and the North Sea coasts. The odd shower in the southwest too, uh, turning drier and brighter, with easing uh, winds later on. A colder day for all and the the forecast for tonight <coughs> is that it will be dry clear and cold across much of the uk tonight and areas of cloud drifting into the far north of scotland with a few showers here and along the uh, north coast um, and some patchy cloud in northern ireland too so that is the weather forecast there is a um, the chance of rain as well so uh, do keep yourself warm as brother Willie mentioned and do have like a jacket or a raincoat with you before you are about to leave uh, for work this morning so yeah that's that's the weather forecast mm-hmm. any news uh, that you want to share or <coughs> um, yeah uh, I would like to touch upon sport because uh, recently we, we saw that Australia won uh, the cricket yes, uh, final upset wasn't it yes just mm. a little bit yeah it was a crushing defeat for India mm. um, and you can tell that the Indians did not take it very well mm. uh, but uh, apart from that um, England have made it into the Euros uh, 2024 uh, as have uh, Scotland Scotland have made it as well they didn't mm. top their table mm. but uh, they made it um, by the grace of Allah mm-hmm. when is the Euros 20 Twenty twenty four. So oh, I'm assuming okay. the summer of twenty twenty four. Germany. In Germany. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Right. Um, well, I've got a couple of uh, stories that I want to share. There's one about uh, <coughs> the alleged misuse of words by UK's former top diplomat. Mm. So this is a story by James Cleverly, uh, who became subject of a complaint by Alex Cunningham MP. And Mr. Cunningham represents Dr. (coughs) North. And on Wednesday, a couple of days ago, in Prime Minister's questions, he asked why a third of children in his constituency live in poverty, to which he claims Mr. Cleverly heckled because it is, and he used expletive, but uh, what he was saying is is a toilet hole. Um, The Home Secretary has denied uh, saying this, but a source close to him said he admitted using unparliamentary language to describe the Labour MP. So it wasn't against the constituency, it was against the MP. So he used uh, an expletive. Um, so his impulsive retort, albeit uns- insulting, was aimed at Mr Cunningham, the MP, and not the constituency. And the same source said he would never criticise Stockton. He's managed or he's campaigned in Stockton and it's clear that it is a great place. Um, so I think that is enough for us here to judge whether he did use the expletive. I think he has apologised for saying what he did uh, to in respect of the um, uh, the MP. Um, but this instance uh, did uh, did remind me of the refrain mentioned in the sayings of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. The Holy Prophet cautioned on the use of speech. He said, for instance, 
that a Muslim is one from whose uh, speech and hand or tongue and hand people are safe. So implicit in this is the wise and careful use of what you say and to refrain from using speech that may unduly harm or hurt. And one that Mr. Cleverly would have found particularly useful if he had observed this, uh, and this is a saying by the Holy Prophet, he says that let one who believes in Allah in the last day speak, speak good or be silent. So if you can say something good, say it, or just be quiet. So this just goes to show how overarching the teachings of Islam are. It provides uh, such wonderful guidance on so many different aspects of our lives. Some like this, some like this that even uh, on our more seasoned politicians like James Cleverly uh, would have benefited from. So uh, I found that interesting in that respect. And there's one other story. You, you mentioned football, Jalees. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, there's one interesting, uh, I'm sh- I don't know whether you've come across this, but the mention has been made about the Premier League and Premier footballers in Ghanaian politics. Mm-hmm. Now, Isaac Adongo, uh, last year, <coughs> uh, this is what he said. Um, I'm hope- I hope you're familiar with some of these uh, personalities. Mm-hmm. He says there is a player in the UK called Harry Maguire, <laughs> right, yeah. who plays for Manchester United. He was tackling everybody and throwing bodies everywhere and was seen as the best defender in the world. Manchester United went and bought him. He became the biggest threat at the centre of Manchester United defence, tackling Manchester players and giving assists to opponents. When even the opponents failed to score, Maguire would score for them. So he says, Mr. Speaker, this is the um, uh, Ghanaian uh, politician, he says, in this country, in Ghana, we also have an economic Maguire who is now a threat to our economy and becoming a risk to our own goal. Mr. Speaker, you remember, and this um, recently he says, that you remember that last year, I was very quick to compare um, the uh, finance minister to Harry Maguire. (laughs) Mr. Speaker, I now apologize to Harry Maguire Today, Maguire turned the corner and is a transformed footballer. Harry Maguire is now scoring goals for Manchester United. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, Harry Maguire is now a key player for Manchester United. As for our Maguire, he's now with cap, cap in hand, robbing the IMF. So he's not happy, but he's compared. I mean, it's good yeah. that, uh, that uh, we are still... Um, um, uh, football in this country is still followed uh, abroad and is uh, brought into politics. Um, and uh, <coughs> Maguire actually got uh, wind of this, and he said that, uh, Mr. Adongo, apology is accepted. See you at Old Trafford. <laughs> so I thought that was quite amusing. Anything else? Uh, yeah, so um, as you know, on a weekly basis, we do like to cover some of the news uh, with regards to the virtual meetings. His Holiness Hassan Zam Suramad, head of the MDM Muslim community, which he has with the members of the community from across the world. And just recently, on the 19th of November 2023, um, His Holiness had a virtual meeting from members of the community from Belgium. And um, these were no ordinary um, members. They were the Wakfat, you know. And uh, as my listeners know as well, I've spoken about it so many times I, so I I, kind of, I serve in the in this department and uh, the the scheme within the community was initiated by the fourth caliph of the community on the 3rd of April 1987 so that uh, you know parents they dedicate their children their unborn children 
to uh, become valuable assets to the community uh, when they grow up, when they their upbringing should be in such a manner that they are then ready to help the community in various capacities. Um, for example, in countries such as Africa or any other poor countries where there's hospitals, uh, you know, there are these members who are serving very diligently um, and uh, giving their time for the community. So uh, this is uh, his only inside a meeting uh, with with uh, the ladies. Um, and uh, after, after the recitation of the Holy Quran and reading a portion of the abstracts of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, the, the members had the opportunity to ask various questions and seek guidance from his holiness. And uh, one such question was asked by Kashmin Shazad, uh, and she asked, she, she prayed that the war uh, does not break out in the world. Uh, however, she added that if, God forbid, war does break out, then what crops should be grown after the war? So very, very important question. Um, and to this is only as replied that each religion and each country, crops are cultivated according to the specific condition unique to that area. And the same crop uh, conditions cannot be everywhere. For example, rice cannot be grown in Europe due to its colder climate, just as some crops cannot grow in warmer regions. Therefore, in each region, crops are cultivated in accordance with their specific condition and the stable food of an area is what will be grown, whether uh, it's before or after war. And His Holiness also added that after World War II, Russia was in devastated state and the farmers in Russia, they cultivated their own crops and transported them to the city. And uh, the residents of the city had nothing to eat and the farmers would exchange their vegetables and crops for necessities they needed in the city. And as challenges arise, humans then adjust to them. And His Holiness finally added that, he emphasized again, that in each region crops are cultivated based on specific conditions unique to that place you know it's it's quite interesting uh, whenever i uh, listen to some of these q and a uh, and a question is asked on agriculture his holiness because he's studied agriculture yep. he knows very much in depth mm. Mm. as yep. to uh, a lot of a lot of these issues so it's it's very interesting to uh, hear his insight into into that that side as well um, as well as you know on mm. religious affairs on political affairs but it's, it's quite interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that that was um, a brief mm-hmm. brief mm-hmm. little overview of uh, the meetings His Holiness has. And uh, you can listen and even watch uh, brief clips of these meetings as well on our channel on MTNU. So do right. check that out. Okay. Anything? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, we're... I think we're aware that today is, um, well, uh, the past few days anyway, we've been leading up to today as in Black Friday, the sales mm. that we have. Um, mm. It's quite interesting where this um, this phrase kind of originates from. So we see that the term uh, Black Friday um, wasn't always used for um, discounted deals um, as it is today. Um, it was actually referred um, 
uh, sorry, that there was a gold market crash in the 1860s. And uh, that was referred to as Black Friday as well. Um, but I think it was roughly around about the 1980s where this kind of phrase switched. And um, the day after Thanksgiving or the period after Thanksgiving, they changed this phrase into more of a marketing and um, a retail kind of phrase. Um, just regarding this Black Friday uh, or these Black Friday sales, I, I came across a very interesting um, video where this gentleman said that um, if you if you had intentions of buying something that is 50% off right now, then you have effectively saved 50%. But if you weren't going to buy it and it is 50% off, you effectively wasted 100% of your money. Yeah. So um, this is something I found really interesting and mm. uh, maybe some of the viewers might yeah. take heed before mm. buying um, mm. during this period. Are you are you going to be going out uh, to the shops, to the high street, to uh, see whether you can save 50%? I, I, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> or, and, or waste 100%? <laughs> the things I had in mind to buy, I think I bought them. Um, so I, I would like to think that I've saved money. Mm. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sometimes scared uh, going out and... Uh, looking at deals because sometimes mm. it might be really enticing but mm. you don't really need those kind of items so um, maybe mm. we need to pay heed and to um, um, waste yeah. money as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, <coughs> is this story, um, the, well, this, uh, that's causing some alarm. This is Gert Wilders. Mm. Um, he's causing some alarm in certain quarters. Um, he secured a victory uh, in the Dutch elections. Uh, Mr. Wilders, I think most people know, is a, is a, is a far-right politician who has been strongly um, against Islam and said so. Mm. Uh, um, and issued wild statements against the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and Muslims. Uh, the Dutch political system, so he's won the election, so the, the Dutch political system is such that it's based on proportional representation, which means that he can't form a government without partners, which may not be a done thing at this stage, although... Um, uh, moves are, um, are afoot to try and get some kind of uh, partnership with him. He did tone down his rhetoric against Muslims in his campaign, but his deep-seated animosity against Islam is un undeniable. Uh, to make his uh, party more palatable to mainstream voters, he declared that his party's manifesto plans to ban the Quran, Islamic schools and mosques was going to be um, put, uh, as he put it, in the uh, in the fridge, coal cast, so on hold, in other words. Uh, this apparent signal of moderation helped his party to more than double its representation in Parliament. He used to have 17, or his party used to have 17 seats. He's now got 37 seats. Now, Mr. Wilder's uh, um, policy um, still include a proposed ban on Islamic headscarves in public, uh, and, um, and that's in black and white in his party manifesto, so that he cannot deny. And he has been in trouble with courts for years for his verbal attacks on immigrants, uh, especially those of Moroccan, Moroccan origin. Now, for those who are worried about the rise of uh, Gert Wilders and his like, this statement of His Holiness is very relevant. Uh, as mentioned, Mr. Wilders has long, or is it Wilders, has long issued pronouncements against Islam, and uh, the, His Holiness has responded to, to them in the past. And uh, <coughs> Mr. Wilders has said that he doesn't hate Muslims, he just hates Islam. Now, 
uh, in, on one occasion, His Holiness, addressing Mr. Wilders, said this. He said, listen carefully, addressing Mr. Wilders. You, your party, and every other person like you will ultimately be destroyed. But the religion of Islam and the message of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, will remain forever. No worldly power, no matter how powerful, and no matter how much hatred they bear towards Islam, will ever succeed in erasing our religion. And in response to this, uh, Wilders at the time asked the Dutch interior minister uh, uh, to consider this a threat. Uh, and uh, uh, the Dutch interior minister, his name was Pete uh, Donner, uh, threw his request out. He said that he saw no threat because uh, His Holiness had only threatened him with peaceful prayer not violence, and the Ahmadi Muslim community is known worldwide uh, as a community that is peaceful. So I thought that that is something that perhaps should be brought to the notice of um, of our listeners, especially those perhaps who are worried with this rise of uh, right-wing extremists in certain parts of Europe and the threat they may pose to Islam. Um, His Holiness is quite, uh, quite clear that... Um, they will not succeed if that's what they want to do to eradicate Islam. Absolutely, and uh, you know, there's there's some more powerful quotes of His Holiness relating to this as well. Um, he he said, for example, on the on in his sermon on the 9th of December 2012, while speaking on Mr. Border and those who oppose Islam, he said that those who are excessive. In disrespecting, speaking negatively and extending bounds in enmity against Islam and the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, should desist from it or fear God's chastisement. Um, and he also said that and as we enter this phase where uh, you know the anti-Islamic uh, populist uh, world wins dramatic. Uh, dramatic victory. We must always remember the profound words His Holiness has said uh, on this particular issue. Um, so, so yeah, and and you know, you, you mentioned that he's banned the the veil in in uh, in Holland. Yes, it, it's always interesting. Yeah, it's always interesting. You know, <laughs> we've covered the 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 Muslim veil so many times on uh, on the Voice of Islam radio station as well, and. You know, one thing we always say is that one thing that needs to be understood that every religion teaches modesty in every aspect. You know, we, we look at so many religions, you will find that every te- religion teaches um, modesty. We look at pictures of even uh, Mary, peace be upon her, mm-hmm. and the early early women of Christianity. You know, they would be wearing headscarves, mm-hmm. and a lot of paintings, you know, depict that. Mm-hmm. I remember I mentioned as well, uh, Brother Valid, mm. uh, when I actually had the chance to go to the Orkney Islands mm. and one of the churches there, the Italian chapel. So the, the 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 main centerpiece of the church itself is a picture of Mary uh, holding uh, Jesus um, as he's a child and clearly she's wearing a, a head covering, um, a, a veil, just like as Muslim women do. So... Uh, that should be understood, you know, p- these opponents who raise these, raise these allegations that Islam is a extreme and barbaric religion, they, they really do this out of ignorance because the same 
same uh, you know same objection can be leveled at each other religion because every religion taught modesty and and this is what we see in Islam as well uh, whereas Islam is that only religion that uh, you, we can say that the members of the of of uh, of the denomination they practice and they abide by the the rules as well we we don't see it being practiced in Christianity but in Islam it's very much in the, in the core teachings you know and and women do it freely and absolutely happily. absolutely mm. um i i recall once um uh, our um landmark uh event during the year jilsa salana mm. um that um i mean what better way to um explain the beauty of islam than or in 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 this term uh, regarding the the hijab or um then women themselves and there was one guest that came to Jalsa and uh, this woman had never worn um, the hijab or a veil ever before and uh, she came and she was on the woman's side and she expressed her feelings afterwards that she felt so comfortable around women and she felt so um, at ease um, around those of her own uh, gender and whenever uh, a male would come for example construction or any, any maintenance work then the her her demeanor would change and and then she she would want to be more modest she would want to kind of um um bow her head and kind of move away so this is something that women ex- uh, exclaim themselves um and also i think uh, we also have a show almost of islam specifically mm-hmm. where women um interpret um the beauty of islam in their own way so um absolutely i think coming from women themselves who say that this isn't um so people in the west believe this is this is some sort of restriction some sort of uh, limitation but in fact it it is not it actually um this is complete and utter freedom if anything so this is, is, is very beautiful in this way that this woman absolutely and and i remember that uh, even even in europe and western countries you know a lot of women have voiced their um, opinion on this yeah. matter as well that uh, <coughs> even in concerts you know women have yeah. clearly openly said that you know we want there to be a women's only concert yeah. Yeah. because at times there have been uh, when it's mixed gatherings there has been vulgar yeah. uh, behavior by the men and uh, it's something which is uncomfortable Absolutely. and un- un- sector, uh, unacceptable so it, this is something which even even the west and you know we, we, women do openly highlight as well that yeah. there should be a level of modesty there as also well. where Absolutely. do we where do we draw the line that is Absolutely. that is the that is the question you know do we completely uh, take out modesty from the equation Absolutely. and clearly we can't do that yeah. because it's against the human nature yeah. and that's what we say that islam is according to human nature Absolutely yeah yeah Okay um I think there's some Thank you. I, <clears throat> I think there's some good news as far as the Middle East is concerned that there is now uh, a temporary ceasefire that uh, has been going on for nearly two and a half hours uh, so that uh, prisoners can be exchanged. Um, the uh, latest development indicates that 13 uh, non-combatants held by Hamas will be exchanged with 39 women and children held by Israel in their jails. Uh, some without charge and some for years. Um, Israel is currently holding about 7,000 Palestinians accused or, equipped, or convicted of security offences. Uh, and um, almost 3,000 Palestinians are reported to have been arrested 
in the occupied West Bank and East Jerusalem, where violence has also surged since uh, October the 7th. So uh, this whole uh, exchange was organized by uh, Qatar. Um, They were uh, a very important party in this, uh, and it is hoped that this uh, temporary ceasefire will, will continue as more hostages and prisoners are are exchanged and that we can eventually uh, come to a permanent ceasefire and uh, and end to the hostilities involved in this conflict uh, already we have something like 14000 people that have lost their lives uh, and um, some um, uh, 40% of them uh, are children 70% apparently are children or are women. So it is uh, very much a catastrophe. Some uh, quarters are calling this uh, a genocide that is being perpetrated uh, in <coughs> in open um, and in the open and uh, needs to be stopped. And let's hope that it is something that can be uh, stopped. The Amdi Muslim community has been organizing various events that call for uh, peace to be restored. Uh, these are taking place up and down the country. There was also a national event here at uh, Battle Fatu as well, and in the Houses of Parliament as well, uh, also subsequently. Um, so I hope that these kind of efforts will will uh, make an impact and we can have peace again. Um, we have to move on uh, and look at, uh, unless there's another st- pressing story that any of you want to... Uh, Sure. No. Okay. I, 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 I think we just want to know how you, uh, because you had the chance to go to Saudi Arabia and yes. perform a pilgrimage as yes. well. So I think we all want to know mm. uh, as to how how that turned it out. It was it was well it was inspir- inspirational, but uh, for somebody who's an elderly like me, then it's uh, physically a bit uh, taxing. And and you did it all yourself. Um, yes. Because I, I didn't have a wheelchair. If that's what you're asking. <laughs> 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 not th- I'm not that far gone. <laughs> so yes, I did walk uh, and uh, do the circuits and um, the uh, the walk that you have to do, or the run that you have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not possible because there's so many people. But it is a very interesting experience and um, also the fact that there's so many people mm, um, and they are... Um, all there for the same purpose and no matter what time of day you go day or night the oldest people there and uh, and did you hear any any prayers for the palestinian uh, brothers and sisters as well were, were there uh, were they openly praying as well there was no no such uh, openness yes. mm-hmm. but there was no restriction either no one was told i know there there are some people have said that they have been told when entering the country, yes, to be careful and not to mention anything about uh, this conflict. But that was not the case uh, in uh, with us. So we were not cautioned in any way. Um, but um, it's an interesting experience. Um, and um, there, there are many uh, positives and there are one or two negatives. Uh, I think when you look at the uh, cemeteries, for instance, that's uh, quite dispiriting, especially the way that uh, the uh, graves have been basically flattened and you don't know whose grave is uh, mm. which. Absolutely. So that's uh, a bit um, 
unsettling. But otherwise, it's uh, it's a very good. Um, I know you've been as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> but you, is it just once you've been, or is this the second or third time? This was my this was my second okay. time. This was second, second time. time. Yeah. Is it better the second time? Uh, I think every time every time you go, it's a uh, new experience mm. on its own, and mm. uh, it's it's more worthwhile than the previous experience. So. I th- I think you can't get enough of uh, of that whole whole atmosphere where everyone is praying everyone is straying towards one direction towards mm. the Kaaba mm. that unity itself is remarkable mm. because uh, you know we we are we every muslim around the world we face towards towards the the Kaaba the the main mm. site for muslims uh, but to be actually there and to see all of the muslim just making a huge circle around mm. the 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 Kaaba itself and praying mm. in unity it's it's an amazing feeling mm. um because uh, you know it, and it, i think it's something everyone must a muslim must witness yeah. once in their lifetime or try to at least yeah yeah, yeah. and um i think the the more the one thing i did very much want to do but i failed in is that i wanted to visit the uh, the place where the first revelation came Mm. Um but that is uh, a very difficult uh, difficult climb. Yeah. Have it, you been? Uh, I've I, I've never been but after hearing okay. your relations the two <laughs> of you I think you definitely inspired me. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> If you can do that I'll give you a medal. All right? This okay. is all no, okay. because it's very very uh, okay. I mean um it's uh, quite high. Um and um <clears throat> there are steps uh, now that have been carved out uh, on the mountain to take you up mm-hmm. so this is you know mount it's called uh, jabal nur ja- jabal nur mount, yeah. mount nur yes okay. and uh, at the top of it there is a cave uh, where the holy prophet peace be upon him i'm just saying this for the benefit of those people who are not familiar mm-hmm. um the, where the holy prophet peace be upon him received his first revelation mm-hmm. so <clears throat> yeah so yeah. <laughs> uh, our, our our taxi driver actually uh, Uh, dropped us a little further down yeah, from that, where the stone. Yeah, that's that's. So I mean, I was very, very uh, geared up, very motivated, and um, so I rushed forward. <laughs> By the time I reached the bottom of the stairs, I was puffy, <laughs> and they told me, "Well, it hasn't even started." I mean, <laughs> so, um, so that was very, very difficult. Yeah, very, the, very the difficult. thing is, it's so steep. Yes, that. Uh, even cars sometimes they can uh, they can tip over uh-huh. uh, mm. because of the steepness of, oh. of the mountain itself. Mm. Um, so y- that's why usually they park a, a little before mm. before the entrance mm. itself, and they and they usually say mm. for the um, for the visitors to walk the mountain. Yeah. Um, but it's I I think we I, I had a chance to uh, climb the mountain. and when when we got to the main place the main place known as the cave hira mm. and this is where the prophet you know throughout the nights you know he would stay and perform his prayers um that itself it's it's amazing that uh, it's so narrow mm. and there's so many people just trying <coughs> to get into that little cave um it, it can sometimes become very difficult um mm-hmm. it can even there's even uh, you can get a bit of suffocation as well because mm-hmm. there's just so many people there and it's just like a small cave yeah. um so we we didn't go in because this there were too many people but 
we we got to the 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 main destination mm-hmm. and we had a good look at a, an overview as well and then uh, well, you, you weren't able to pray inside we we, we weren't able to because uh, we had to wait there for at least two good two hours mm-hmm. for for us to get a turn um so what we ended up doing is we just prayed uh right next to the cave itself mm-hmm. uh we performed our two voluntary prayers and then uh, mm-hmm. came back down mm-hmm. but uh, otherwise uh, it's another extra two hour wait mm-hmm. um so uh, i i think that that was mm-hmm. we decided that maybe it's just best mm-hmm. to head back down and yeah. there's a beautiful view you get from yeah, the mountain yeah yeah i mean i i didn't climb the whole lot but yeah. from as high as i went there's a beautiful view you can get oh, wow. Um so that's something you can look forward to. Uh, Definitely I am. <laughs> <laughs> really, I'm really anticipating it now. So yeah. Good. Okay. Um <coughs> so how are we going to do this now? We've got the main topic is is it Mr. Imam Jalisi who's going to lead us? Yeah, sure. Hmm? Absolutely. Um I think the first topic we have is about cholesterol and high hmm. blood pressure. Yeah. Um and the risks of um Well, the 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 risks that come along with high uh, cholesterol. Um just for everyone's sake, cholesterol, I didn't know this myself. I found it recently. Um I think your mom took here knows. I found it recently. Okay, um I, I don't know what cholesterol was. Um huh? um respected Valid sub do, do, do you know what cholesterol is? Oh, yeah. so very well, yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I might well, say yeah, he has a very very deep connection with cholesterol. Yes. <laughs> It's something that you build up if you take too much burfi. You know? okay. If you take too much burfi, you get high cholesterol. Yeah. <laughs> for the for the I think for the um, for the benefit for our viewers, uh, burfi is a traditional uh, Pakistani uh, sweet, um, mm. very high in very sugar. Nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, very nice. It's, it's very nice. Absolutely, mm. no no doubt about that. Mm. Um, going back to cholesterol, though, um, cholesterol is a waxy substance found in your blood uh, in your veins, and uh, your body needs cholesterol. You have good good uh, cholesterol as well but um your body needs cholesterol to build healthy cells but uh, high levels of cholesterol can increase uh, your risk of heart disease and uh, with high cholesterol you can develop fatty deposits in your blood vessels and eventually these deposits grow making it difficult for enough blood flow to um flow through your arteries and sometimes uh, those deposits can break suddenly and form a clot that causes a heart attack or stroke Um so these are some things that uh, we need to take care of uh, we need to look um before eating um excessive amounts of sweets and high fatty um mm. foods um if there's anything else that you'd like to progress because after that I have some islamic perspective um mm. but uh, yes yeah i mean it, this, this um cholesterol has a lot to do with the kinds of food we eat mm-hmm. if we eat very oily foods and ghee with uh, i think indian cuisine uses ghee a lot for instance mm-hmm. um, butter also is, is supposed to be uh, not uh, conducive to low cholesterol so it should be avoided there. so there are a lot of um, uh, foods that sh- can be avoided in order to um, uh, <coughs> avert the um, the threat of cholesterol mm-hmm. and uh, uh one of the th- one of the medicines that uh, is very common nowadays is um there a group of medicines they call statins mm. you may have heard of them mm-hmm. but um um people are uh, prescribed statins in order to uh, reduce the cholesterol so it's something that is detected in uh, in the blood 
So you usually go for a uh, blood test and if the uh, cholesterol level is high, then uh, you're prescribed statins and many, many people I know uh, have been prescribed one statin or another Mm -hmm. uh, in order to help uh, maintain the right level of uh, cholesterol. Mm -hmm. As you said, some uh, cholesterol is good. But uh, this HDL and LDL. Yeah, so, that's the one. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. Yeah. So, um, so one of these is good, and the other is not too good. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, but one of the reasons why we are mentioning um, cholesterol is because um, <coughs> cardiovascular uh, ca- cardiovascular disease being the leading cause of death worldwide, and it's important to raise awareness about its preventable factors and raise quality of life. Um, a recent health project carried out s- suggests an uh, alarmingly large number of people in the UK suffer from high cholesterol, and many of which are um, undiagnosed. Um, and uh, that's exactly what we will be talking about today, um, and uh, how we can reduce our bad cholesterol and improve our overall heart health. Um, Imam, um, Imam Takir Sab, if you have anything. Yeah, th- I think I'll just uh, carry on from that, really. Um, so the article also summarises that According to the largest medical study initiative in the UK, the majority of adults should be receiving therapy for high cholesterol, uh, but are not. Um, It says that 25% have untreated high blood pressure. um, And also, our future health examines a person's lifestyle genetics to avoid disease. Mm -hmm. And figures from earlier this year revealed that while just under 25% of women participated, over a third, 20, 34% of men had high blood pressure when uh, compared to men. Um, and, a, and, and a larger percentage of women, 62% tested, have had elevated cholesterol uh, mm-hmm. levels. So unsurprisingly, older participants had a higher percentage of high blood pressure individuals. And high blood pressure was mm-hmm. present in just 12% of volunteers uh, between the ages of 18 to 29, whereas it was present in 46% of individuals um, 85 years of age or older, and 67% of volunteers in their 50s to 59s had high cholesterol, making them uh, the group most likely to have it. Um, so uh, one important question uh, is that what symptoms of high cholesterol, uh, uh, what are the symptoms of high cholesterol mm-hmm. and what can be uh, done about it. Uh, so it says that high cholesterol itself does not cause any symptoms and it can only be identified if you have a blood test done and it, it is often a hidden risk factor, meaning that it is often only identified when it's, it is too late and this means that it is important to have your cholesterol levels checked Um, And if left untreated, it can cause a heart attack or stroke. However, um, you might show symptoms of high cholesterol if you have a, um, if you have family male uh, hypercholesterolemia and amongst them uh, are, uh, it, it is a yellow cholesterol lumps that are located close to the inner core of your eye and uh, corneal arcus, the white and pale ring surrounding the colored iris of your eye. And also another symptom is that swellings caused by cholesterol on your knuckles, of your hands, knees, or the Achilles 
tendon on the back of your ankle so it's, it's quite um alarming actually that uh, the only way to test it is through getting your blood test really yeah, and absolutely. Uh, otherwise if if you don't get it tested it's yeah. you you know you wouldn't know if you have it or not unless yeah. you are exhibiting uh, some of these symptoms absolutely yeah i th- I, th- i think that's what the biggest uh, the, the worry was or the biggest worry is that people are not getting treated for these things and the only way you can is as you said you can, you have to get a blood test and uh, um did i think i think uh, the our future health um so this is a, a f- um uh, an industry is, is is funded by the government um our future our future health um, and they analyze people's genes and lifestyles uh, to prevent disease and they actually came out and said that the millionth volunteer of a hoped for 5 million adults had just enrolled so they expected so much more but only um um one fifth of their expected uh, enrollees um had enrolled and the only way you can uh, obviously um find out if you are suffering from this disease is uh, if you obviously as you said um get a blood test so it, it 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 is quite worrying and is something that we should definitely look towards and and i think um it would be important to mention uh some of the ways in how sh- cholesterol levels can be reduced uh in the body as well i think i'll just mention some of these points as well it says that to lower your cholesterol limit your intake of fatty foods particularly those high in uh saturated fat and you can still consume unsaturated fat mm-hmm. uh which is a healthier type of fat check food labels to determine the type of fat contained and according to the nhs website try to eat more oily fish uh like mackerel salmon brown rice whole grain bread and whole wheat pasta nuts seeds fruits and vegetables and try to eat less of mm-hmm. meat pies sausages fatty meat butter lard ghee or oh, they put it in there as well ghee <laughs> yeah <laughs> cream, cream yeah. hard cheese like cheddar cakes biscuits and food that contain coconut oil or palm oil you know the, the thing is um I I actually went Tooting High Street last night and I <laughs> and I really did stuff myself up with the uh, all this desi ghee and uh, naan bread yeah. and okay. uh, the the lamb curries and yeah. the chicken curry so I yeah. can't really say too much on this subject yeah. because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really <laughs> you go there daily I I think we I just yeah. I just went there uh, yesterday um, mm-hmm. just okay. meeting our classmates and oh, uh, that graduated from uh, Jamia the UK Ooh. so uh, oh, this this was one way to celebrate our meeting yeah. to really eat unhealthy ah. yeah. the intention was good <laughs> the, <laughs> the intention was good the intake yeah. was wrong <laughs> um so uh, yeah i i mean uh, when if you know if we are when we are covering the islamic perspective on this um i i can't really say too much because i myself don't um I wouldn't say I have such an healthy diet. Mm-hmm. Um but Islam does stress that even when it comes to eating mm-hmm. uh you should uh, really take care and uh, the holy prophet peace be upon him he further said that when you are eating as well you should eat one third you should drink one third and uh, also you should leave one third uh, for air meaning that uh, you shouldn't uh, you should you should leave that space for itself. 
Um, mm, and and yeah. Islam actually teaches that the condition of the body, it affects the condition of the spirit. And thus, great care should be taken to keep one's body healthy and fit. And Islam further teaches that all food should be taken in moderation and nothing should be indulged into access. Uh, the Holy Prophet at another place, he said that there is an organ in the body. When it is healthy, the whole body is healthy. And when this is sick, the entire body mm. becomes sick, and it is the heart. And uh, he further said, he, it is further said that the Prophet himself never ate his fill. And he said that, kill not your hearts with excessive eating and, uh, and uh, drinking. Um, <coughs> furthermore, it is a commandment of the Holy Prophet that for the spiritual progress of the soul, it is important to look after your physical health. Um, we know that uh, even uh, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, the uh, the founder of the MD Muslim community throughout his life as well. Um, and, and he did this uh, towards the very end as well. He would often go for very long walks. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, he would often go toward, towards the uh, river banks of Bayas. Um, he would walk all the way there. Uh, it is even narrated regarding the second caliph uh, that he used to travel out of Qadian for hunting and once participated in a race with his children and servants on the banks of uh, River Bias. And, uh, you know, it's very interesting that the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, mm-hmm. he would often uh, also exercise with weights and there's a very particular weight he would he would use uh, to exercise. So uh, uh, that's 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 very interesting mm, to note yeah. as well that he, um, you know, after writing so many uh, different books, given delivering so many lectures, you know, he still made time to look after his health. And uh, the second caliph himself, you know, he himself at uh, one place he said that we inculcate the habit of physical exercise so that we can be lethe and active and so that our limbs become strong and so that we gain uh, courage. Um, Also, uh, looking at what they've said on uh, the NHS website, they've said that uh, try to get at least uh, 150 minutes or 2.5 hours of exercise Mm. uh, every week. Um, Do you want to... Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So this is something that the um, the government-funded project that I was previously mentioning, our future health. Um, so how they analyze genes and lifestyles, um, to prevent diseases. Um, so they they did their research and they found out that the first one hundred thousand people they put through the system, um, over half had cholesterols um that should have been treated and hadn't been treated. And Professor Sir John Bell from the University of Oxford, who chairs our future health, said that um, this included people that were actually quite young. Um, this kind of um, kind of illustrates the fact that um, high cholesterol is actually being seen in young children. Oh, maybe not young children, but those of a younger age now. Because um, we, I think we, we used to, or we usually associate high cholesterol with those who are fairly um, elderly. So I think we need to really uh, look at this as well. I don't know if this has any correlation with the cost of living crisis. Um, I, w- I came across an article um, some time back where it said that 
more and more families are opting towards um, takeaway foods because it's a more convenient mm. um, out, um, um, well, more, more convenient way of living um, in terms of uh, cost. Um, because obviously, if you do want to have a healthy lifestyle, um, it does cost um, quite a bit. So this is something that's quite alarming. And uh, yeah, um, so the uh, sir. Uh, Sir John Bell continues saying that so we are actually quite concerned that there is quite a large amount of ill health in the population that could be very easily managed much further beyond what I expected. So there's something that's, that's, that's very concerning um, respected Valid Sob hmm. you have. No, no, I mean, um, that's quite interesting. Um, it's also interesting what um, Dr. Whitby has said. He says benefits of fasting uh, hmm. in his book um, He's saying that uh, this can also have uh, a positive impact. Um, mm-hmm. It stores one's health. Some doctors have developed a system of health mm-hmm. through almost exclus- exclusive use of fasting. So fasting is also yeah, a means through which we can uh, we can uh, tackle this particular tackle this particular um, scourge. But I think best best way to do it is not to go to tooting soft. <laughs> 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 yes, <laughs> to to limit your visits there. Absolutely, um. no, absolutely. I think uh, I think this is just touching upon what um, Imam Takir said. Okay, Islam teaches moderation. So I think once in once in a blue moon, once every yes, day, yes. maybe not every day. No, visiting, no, absolutely. Yeah. Maybe not visiting tooting every day. Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's what? lots of fruit and vegetable shops. Oh, there well. yeah, there is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I must have missed those. <laughs> Mm. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. No. Oh, so yeah, um, I think uh, we've we've covered this um, segment in in detail, mm-hmm. and uh, I think lastly, we can end uh, with the quote of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, um, on this particular subject, um, on how he explains that uh, you know the whatever we do physically, our eating. Or even in terms of our spirituality, it has mm-hmm. they, are, they are all correlated in one aspect. Um, and he says that it should be understood that according to the Holy Quran, the natural state of man is intimately related to his moral and spiritual state. So much so that even his eating and drinking habits affects his moral and spiritual states. That is why the Quran, the Holy Quran emphasizes the physical cleanliness and physical moderation of prayers and inner cleanliness and devotion. And after careful consideration, one concludes that this is the true philosophy that, uh, and that physical organs have great effect on, on the soul. And, and I think that quote itself is absolutely amazing that, um, you know, you'd find that even when we are performing the prayer, we before that we perform the ablution, yep. which is our physical cleanliness as well. And there we pray as well that uh, may Allah the Almighty um, make me amongst those who are purified. Uh, and uh, not only are we praying for our physical cleanliness, mm-hmm. but at the same time, we're also praying for our spiritual cleanliness as well. So it all has an effect and uh, even you know in terms of our eating habits as well that has an effect on our spiritual state as well um so you know in that sense uh, we we should uh, take heed in that and furthermore um 
the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, he further elaborated that as far as our eating, drinking, sleeping and walking are concerned, they are essential physical actions and they affect our spiritual well-being. Our physical figure is manifestly related to our humanity and the relationship of body and soul is such that one cannot explain it easily and careful observation shows that the body is the mother of soul. Uh, so that it, that was a quote uh, from the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And, and this is all taken from his book, uh, The Philosophy and Teachings of Islam. Mm-hmm. So do do uh, read that. It's a very beneficial book. Yep. There. Yeah. Okay, all right. Um, so we're um, uh, running uh, fast towards the 8 o'clock news. Uh, after that, we'll be discussing the... Um, uh, second main topic that uh, we'll be reviewing. This is about uh, sleep and uh, the fact um, that um, uh, the quality uh, of uh, sleep uh, is more important than our qu- uh, or than the quantity or the other way around. That's the question that we will be exploring. Um, <coughs> so uh, do stay with us. Uh, we will have a number of uh, experts that will help us try to understand this particular subject. And of course, we'll have the Islamic standpoint as well, uh, Islamic point of view as well from our two Imams. So do stay with us. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Uh, welcome back to the Breakfast Show of the Voice of Islam. It, uh, Myself, Walida Madan, Imam Toki Tanwi Khan and Imam Denise Khan. As mentioned before the break, uh, before the 8 o'clock news, uh, we are going to be looking at the second of our uh, main stories. It's about sleep. And the question that we are going to be reviewing is this. Is is sleep uh, quality more important than quantity? We do hope to be speaking to a few experts but uh, to introduce this particular subject, uh, Imam Jalis Khan will be um, doing that. Yep, absolutely. Um, we have all heard um, the idea that we should all be getting you know, roughly eight hours of sleep, maybe ten hours of sleep. Um, I think the, the the sweet spot or the the optimal number of hours that you should be getting, um, or so we have heard, um, is seventy nine hours of sleep. But um, I, th- I think we should consider, um, or uh, I th- yeah, I, th- I think we should all consider that maybe it's better for s- sleep quality rather than sleep quantity. Um, some people sleep for 10 hours and when they wake up, they're, they're still fatigued. Mm. They still have this kind of um, pain and they, they, they wake up very lethargic. Mm. So um, I think it would be very interesting see, uh, to see, even from um, our guests that we, we will have today, uh, experts in this field mm, and mm. We, we, we can explore more how um, how to get a better night's sleep maybe maybe we should um, also decrease in our sleep mm. and um, work on our quality and see what strategies we can um, what we can adopt to improve the quality of sleep mm, and uh, ha- 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 we could also ask them as well this is these, these are the points that we will be touching up touching upon today uh, the effect of sleep quality and on health um, and how you can determine your quality of sleep Mm. So, yes, yeah, so yeah. we're told that uh, spe- sleep quali- quality mm-hmm. is important, it's vital yeah. for our overall health. Yeah. And uh, poor sleep quality has been linked to an increased risk of uh, 
heart disease, something that we were talking about earlier. So it's not just visits to tooting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's the quality of sleep as well. Yeah. Um, high risk of uh, diabetes, again, also s- contribute to that. Stroke, mental health conditions like depression and anxiety. <coughs> so this has mm. been uh, borne out by research. Uh, it might also be harder to enjoy life and lead to more daytime exhaustion when you have poor sleep. So quality of sleep apparently is is is, is important and uh, understandably so. Um, so um, also interesting to note that uh, people's sleep habits do alter over time. Many people's sleep patterns in their 50s and 60s will differ mm. from those of their 20s. And age is a factor in many of these changes. For example, over time, natural disruptions mm. um, uh, to the circadian rhythm might occur. Mm. Yep. Uh, circadian ry- rhythm controls numerous body activities, including our sleep-wake cycle. And the um, hormone that promotes sleep, uh, melatonin, mm-hmm. steadily decreases with age. Uh, due to these modifications, as we age, we could begin to wake up sooner in the morning or have more uh, night-type awakenings. Um, so these are some, some points yes, yes, that have absolutely. been presented to us. Yep. <coughs> it, it isn't much that is mentioned about um, siestas or naps, power naps. Yes, um, <coughs> I, I, I do believe... I do believe having a, a little bit of a rest during during the during the day is very helpful, even if it is thirty minutes. Um, mm. I think it was a scientist. Um, I'll have to look it up again. Uh, however, um, yes, this the, the, this has proven um, very very uh, beneficial, um, mm-hmm. especially if you are uh, having less sleep um, in terms of uh, uh, quantity. If you're having less hours of sleep. And if you make up some of that sleep during the day, I think it could also be very beneficial for you as well, mm. just to rejuvenate, uh, reju- uh, rejuvenate you uh, for the rest of the day and to carry on with your um, with your um, daily routine. Um, I think also postures are very important as well, because um, some people say that lying on your stomach um, is has, has seen very injurious as well. And uh, lying on your back as well, sometimes it might affect the spine as well. So I think uh, these d- these are the factors that might affect um, a good mm. a good night's sleep. Mm. A good night's sleep, definitely. Mm. But it's interesting. Um, I was listening <coughs> to a, a research program on sleep, and uh, they were mentioning uh, what you just mentioned about postures, and they said that. Mm. Uh, uh, s- sleeping on your right hand, uh, mm. on your right side is preferable yep. rather than on your left side because left side is when you tend to get um, poor dreams and yeah. poor sleep. That's it. Yeah. And Very that's well said, interesting yeah. from an yep. Islamic point of view, isn't definitely, it? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, very interesting, and uh, we do have an expert who has joined. Uh, we have uh, Janice Jenner, um, who is on the line, and she has been involved with sleep medicine since 2008. She is a qualified sleep consultant and is the founder of Han Rosa. I hope I pronounced that correctly, and the only sleep consultee regularly commissioned by the NHS. Uh, good morning to you, and thank you for joining us today at the Voice of Islam radio station. Hello. Um, yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you. Um, it's um, yeah, it's a very interesting subject, sleep, um, and you know, um, I think that uh, it really gripped me in 2008. You know, because uh, 
I just um, and and from then on um, because it's it's such a it's something we're all supposed to do but we do in varying amounts. <laughs> um, but yes, it was interesting what your um, your uh, interview interviewee um, just mentioned about a couple of things, um, which um, you know I, I think that the, if you want if you want me to talk to that, that's great. Otherwise, I'm happy to answer your questions. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. You can uh, you can definitely uh, mention. We were just you were just mentioning about how um, sleeping on your right side um, not only is it beneficial, but we would talking from about it from an islamic perspective as well that mm-hmm. um you know this was something which was mentioned 1400 years ago uh by the prophet of the of the of of uh, islam itself that he instructed uh, that you should sleep on your right side and uh, it's just quite remarkable that uh, science itself um it backs up evidence that you know sleeping on your right is beneficial yes i i think it's um I did a little bit of very basic research um, before I came on, and I was very impressed by some of the the um, information that you mentioned. Um, also around naps as well, um, and the importance of keeping a really solid sleep pattern. Um, that is is really um, you know really useful as well. Um, as regards naps, they're sort of like a bit like marmite as far as the scientific community is concerned. Um, they either love them or they hate them. Um, it seems, um, you know, a lot will sort of say, well, if you nap, then, you know, you're at higher risk of all sorts of different conditions. Um, others say that you're not. Um, uh, one thing that does come out, which is really interesting, is that um, your productivity and creativity can increase if you have a nap. Um, and, of course, um, a lot of, you know, the world will have um, a siesta. So, as we we would say that we people sleep in a biphasic way. Um, so you could say that that is a bit of a nap. Um, so they'll sleep, you know, obviously um, mid afternoon, um, and then have a shorter sleep in the night. Um, and there is again some research to suggest that um, even in the UK, before the industrial revolution, that a lot of people used to sleep like that. Um, so, um, you know, and or even during the night, sort of have a big gap in the night. So um, if, that's the, if, that, if that's your sleep pattern, it's not necessarily bad. I think we, in, um, in certain Western societies, we sort of think we've all got to sleep in one block, and that's not always the case. Um, and we found really that um, something that I do know working with um, young people is that there is some research around even giving them like a... Um, uh, well, in my day, it used to be heads on desks, you know, sort of have a little nap after after lunch um, or downtime. Even just 10 minutes is really beneficial for their um, learning and education. Thank, thank you. Very interesting thing. Thank you for that, uh, Janice. Very, very interesting. Um, we, we definitely, you know, do like to cover this subject um, on our radio station as well. We've covered yeah. it before as well. Um, now, you're a founder of... Uh, Han Rosa, I have pronounced that correctly. Yes, you have. Yeah. Um, yeah. Could you tell us a bit more about that and how it has been helping people with sleep, and how can uh, you know people access this service? Okay, um, so we started, as I say, in um, um, two thousand and eight, um, and we um, basically in two thousand fifteen, um, the NHS approached us down the southwest. 
of England and um, asked us to uh, treat some young people who they consider to be probably, you know, the, the children with the most compromising health conditions um, in the county. Um, so we thought, well, we've been treating people privately, which is what we do, um, but um, uh, we um, then treated uh, these, these young people, and which were much to our amazement, we were able to resolve the sleep in everyone apart from one. Um, and we continue to do that in our NHS um, commissions, um, which at the moment we're working into Birmingham and into the southwest. Um, we also offer um, a service right across the age span. Um, I have a t- team of people who work with me who are highly qualified in sleep, and we really prioritise um, all sorts of things that you would have expected, you know, in terms of um, you know, making sure they comply with all sorts of um, rules and regulations, um, and we're really effective. Um, so we offer one-to-one sleep help um, uh, for the individual, and we also offer um, workshops and we have an app for parents uh, called the Sleepwise app, which is on the stores. Um, uh, a seven-day free trial, I think. <laughs> um, I don't want to go to the sales selling on you, but you know, if people just want to dip into it and see, oh, is this for me? Is this for me helping my child with their sleep? Then um, it's a good way to access it. Um, that is also commissioned within the NHS as well. So some places will have um, that in their GP surgeries where, you know, um, professionals can access it and, and get really good advice around sleep mm-hmm. and how to improve mm-hmm. it. Brilliant. Thank you so much for that. Uh, I think one more question from my side, Janice, and I'll pass the mic on to uh, our host, Brother Valid. Um, what would you advise for to someone who is suffering from insomnia? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, there's two methods really that we find are really effective. Um, and the first one is, you know, quite well publicised. It's um, cognitive behaviour therapy for insomnia, so CBTI. Um, and essentially, what that says is, if you're awake in the night, get up, do something different. So, you know, go and make a drink. Um, Uh, maybe even watch a TV program, you know, just for half an hour and then go back and try again to go to sleep. Bearing in mind, everybody has a, you know, a poor night's sleep now and again, but we're talking about people who, you know, routinely don't get a a good night's sleep. Mm. That's very effective. There are other people who say, oh, no, 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 I do not want to get out of bed. I'm really cozy here. I do not want to get out of bed. Um, But yet I do not want to lie here worrying about what's going on. So the other option is something called, um, well, it's, it's, a, it's around um, relaxation um, uh, processes. So during the, during the day, start to learn things like progressive muscle relaxation, um, paced breathing, things like that, things that are relaxation techniques. So that when you are lying there awake, you can start to oh, you say, oh, yes, I'm awake. Um, my brain isn't functioning properly because mm-hmm. I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of the night. So there's lots of research around, you know, the fact that your brain is, is actually in a different state and you, it's not the best thing to do, best time to do rational stuff, um, uh, sort out problems and things. So you can notice that and then practice your relaxation strategy that you have learned during the day. And that is really effective as well. So there's two, two top tips there for for a lot of people but unfortunately for some it's not as simple as that so they, they're probably shouting at the radio now saying i've done that <laughs> <laughs> but um and that's where we come in basically um you know we've got we've got more tools in the armor really mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Mm. Uh, thank you, Janice. Um, uh, tell me, why? what is it? Can I ask you a more fundamental question? Why do we as human beings need sleep? Um, it's a physiological process. So we... Um, it, it really is a 24-hour thing. I think people say, oh, you know, it's just the, the hour before bed and you've got to make sure you don't look at screens and, you know, all this sort of you know, stuff. Um, but we know um, that it's something that, you know, if you're going to um, if you're going to have good sleep, then, you know, it's just that 24-hour thing. And it's rejuvenating. If you look at um, how the brain behaves during the night, it's, it does a whole load of processes First of all, we have um, a process which essentially keeps the show on the road. As I say, you know, it's, um, it's, it, it functions um, so that we have tissue repair um, within our bodies. We have um, uh, muscle repair and we even have growth as well, um, even as adults. But the, more importantly, you know, as children, it's, it's very important. That's what the body takes. So all that cell regeneration happens at the start of sleep. Um, which obviously without that, you know, we wouldn't, we would be really ill. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, we also process memories. So um, when I talk to students, I say, you know, try and do a, um, a study sleep sandwich. So study, then sleep, then study. Um, and, you know, that, and then sleep again. You know, it's, it's, it's that, um, that the brain during sleep will process those facts into your, because, you know, your, your memory bank. It was so clever because it won't remember. You'll remember something like if you're a student, you remember what the lecture was about. Um, if you sort of, um, you know, if you really paid attention, um, but you won't remember what the um, outfit the lecture was wearing. What in that in the in sleep, our brain prunes those unnecessary facts. Mm-hmm. Um, it also helps us learn skills. So. Um, when, say, for example, we don't need to ride a bike um, and we just learn to balance, during that night, our brain will process that activity learning so that when we get back on the bike the following day, we won't have to learn how to balance again. We'll say, oh, right, now, now I'm balancing. I need to look at the pedals. Now, how do I use those? That's what happens during sleep. Mm. And, of course, it, it happens across a range of things, but and the, the final thing, I think that, you know, there's lots of other things that go on, but the really important thing as well is all that emotional regulation. So we, you know, everyone knows that, you know, if you've had a poor night's sleep, you're probably more grouchy and, you know, you're more likely to be emotional. Um, so having a really good night's sleep um, actually uh, will help you process emotions. And, you know, people say, oh, you know, sleep on it, it'll look better in the morning. And it's so true. Mm. Um, because, um, you know, your brain has had a chance to process all those emotions. Mm. You use the phrase good night sleep. Is it important yes. to have your sleep at night or can you have it at any time of the day? I mean, what happens to night workers? Is that damaging to their health when they reverse the process? They're active during mm-hmm. the night and uh, sleep during the day? Right. Um, I think that... Um, when you're purely nocturnal, um, and it's not just night workers, sometimes um, uh, some people develop a, a particular condition which renders them nocturnal, um, and you can actually treat that, but um, you know, obviously with support. Um, there's a, a whole heap of, of um, research around the fact that it can really negatively impact your mental health. But um, in terms of um, shift work, 
I think that we're going to get a lot cleverer with this um, in in sort of years to come because we know that there are people who are night owls, so they're more likely to, um, uh, you know, be quite functioning fine till about 2 a.m. And then there are people who um, are early morning risers. They'll they'll be fine, you know, starting at 4 a.m. Um, it's just covering those two hours in between, I think, is, is the interesting one. Mm. Um, and um, I think that there's real value if, you know, you want, if you feel that you can sleep in, um, you know, in a similar sort of biphasic way, as I said before, it's, it can be really helpful for you as well if you're in that situation. So you get an, a really solid nap in the afternoon and you get a, a shorter night's sleep mm. in the nighttime. Um, but yeah, it's, it's tricky. I think for anyone who's working um, at night, I think that, you know, try and make it as regular as possible. Don't sort of swap and change your shifts and, you know, um, that, that's that's my big advice with that one because okay. the body isn't great for swapping mm-hmm. and changing. So, yes, this, I mean, I was coming up to this question about um, uh, shift workers. Um, mm-hmm. So they are three nights on and three nights off. Yeah. I mean, is that is that also deleterious to your health? That kind of well, uh, that kind of working pattern. Yeah, I mean, I know that um, we just sort of um, as a, a sleep consultancy will um, we have we do treat adults who have gone through their working life working that sort of sleep pattern, and then suddenly when they retire they develop insomnia. Um, and we know as well that you know there's lots of, of physical um, uh, negative well, negative um, you know sort of results as a result of research you know that people are aware that having sleep that way is, is not healthy mm-hmm. um, it's a tricky one because you know I we appreciate entirely that people need to work and some people need to work nights. Um, but yeah, it's not the best way. Um, it's it's a choice, obviously, but you know it's not the best way. And you know, I, I think if you're working nights, it's always good to think of yourself and perhaps if you can alter it so it's um, you know more regular. Um, mm. So you know, perhaps if you're a night owl, you know, write it, you know, sort of cover the, the sort of late and into the into the night and then go home, mm. um, or the opposite. So you know, if you're a morning person, but. Um, Mm. Yeah, it's not always possible to do that. I have no knowledge of that. Mm. No, very interesting. It's very interesting talking to you. My, 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 another one of our colleagues wants to have a quest, have a go, and ask you a few okay. questions. Is that okay? <laughs> yes, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, may the peace of Allah be upon you, Janice. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning. Oh, uh, we really appreciate you taking out your time. Um, as as we're all aware, as 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 we get older, our sleeping pattern changes. So, can you just kind of shed some light upon um, how many hours, for example, do babies need as opposed to children, teenagers, or even adults? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, it, I think it's it's not a simple thing. I mean, everyone's different, but babies can um, need up to nineteen hours sleep. Um, which you know, you think about it. Wow, that's yeah. huge. Um, not all are like that, um, and. Uh, you know, we, we sort of, um, we tend to go with um, the um, National Sleep Foundation figures, um, which is an American organization, um, which actually is, is far more accurate than a lot of the stuff that you'll probably see mm. um, in, say, maybe the NHS information or, you know, um, 
in other in other sources of the media, um, because that's you know we have the core amount that um, we expect at certain ages, but then there are always outliers. There's always people who will sleep less, and those that will sleep a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, we expect a um, uh, a child to really develop a sleep pattern by the time they they go to school, mm-hmm. um, um, and then they really it really seems to sort of um, be a solid amount of of sleep that they tend to have between the ages of six and around about 11 to 13 years. Mm. Um, And that, for some young people, or children rather, can be um, as little as, say, maybe six hours and as much as 10 hours. Mm. Um, So, you know, and those are the outliers. Um, You know, you don't very often meet a six-year-old who's only having six hours sleep Mm -hmm. and being completely fine with it, but you do meet them. Um, and then um, as you move on, um, there's a big shift when, um, you know, they come into the teenage years. And um, again, that could be anything from seven to 10 hours that they need. There's a real myth around that all teenagers need 10 hours sleep. They don't. Um, and I think that, you know, people get worried thinking, oh, my teenager's not sleeping enough. Um, but equally, if they do need 10 hours, they should get 10 hours. Um, then into adults. Um, you know, you can have um, uh, sort of between um, healthily, so it all depends on how you feel in the day, um, between six and ten hours sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that um, if you're getting more or less than that, you you probably need to take advice, really. Um, And then when you get into older age, then it's slightly less of that. Mm -hmm. Um, We now know that... um, you know, having eight hours sleep, um, which is sort of, um, you know, everyone wants a, a one number, you know, how much sleep must you have? Yeah. Um, but we know that that eight hours isn't correct, apart from anything else, you know, everyone's different, but also mm-hmm. it's the average is more like seven hours sleep. It's not, um, it's not eight hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Well, th- thank you so much for that. Um, I, uh, I personally, I was looking for um, a very good mattress uh, when buying one. Um, how, mm-hmm. how important are mattresses, or having a good quality mattress, um, in relation with a good, good night's sleep? Um, it's important to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important to bear in mind, um, you know, that it's, it's one just right for you. I think, you know, if you're going to buy a mattress, you know, don't be shy. Go and go and lie on the mattress in the in the shop. Um, yeah. Some places they actually offer, a, um, I think, a thirty day trial. And mm-hmm. if you're not happy with the mattress, you can send it back. So I think I really like those. Mm-hmm. Um, I would sort of also bear in mind that you know, if you're tending to be very warm at night um, and you know you get get sort of a bit hot and bothered, mm-hmm. um, then I would. Be aware of things like memory foam mattresses because obviously you sink into that mattress. Um, So, you know, then then that will create more warmth. Mm -hmm. Um, And then once you've got the mattress home and you're happy with it, just Mm -hmm. bear in mind what you put on it. So, you know, if you're going to put a mattress protector on, Mm -hmm. then make sure it's as breathable and as cotton or, you know, Mm -hmm. other natural fibre as possible. But also these mattress protectors have sort of all sorts of things like polyester sort of slipped in as well. So, that, you know, you can buy a really expensive mattress and then you ruin it all by sticking that on, you know, yeah. which is sort of a fraction of the cost of the mattress. So yeah. um, I think for me, a lot around mattresses is comfort, but also warmth, mm. um, because we know that if you're too warm, mm-hmm. you're more likely to be wakeful. Mm, definitely. Thank you. Thank you so much for shedding some light upon that. Um, I think just one final question for myself, um, if that's all right. 
Um, mm-hmm. If people are struggling to sleep, um, I think we touched upon insomniacs as well. Um, could a sleeping diary help? And what other tips could you give uh, for those people who are actually struggling to sleep at night? Mm-hmm. Um, right, okay, yeah, sleep diary is really helpful. Um, when we start involvement, we encourage people to complete two weeks worth of sleep diary, mm-hmm. um, which is really illuminating sometimes because they don't realise what their, what their sleep is actually doing over mm-hmm. time. And it can be really encouraging. They can look at it and think, oh, it's not too bad after all. Mm. Um, or they can think, gosh, you know, really, <laughs> you know, as little as I sleep. <laughs> um, I think that it's if you're going to seek medical advice beyond that, mm-hmm. then I think taking a sleep diary with you is hugely powerful. Mm. Um, I have to bear in mind that um, not all doctors have sleep medicine qualifications or mm-hmm. um, knowledge mm-hmm. so um, you know that they, they may sort of decide well okay it's easier to give a prescription rather than um, probably about 80% of sleep problems you can treat without prescription mm-hmm. so um, you know it's um, yeah it's it's a hugely important thing um, the uh, the sleep diary mm-hmm. and um, then if you're gosh you know it's 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 if someone's not sleeping, it's a lot. Um, it's, it's stuff I've already said um, mm, yeah. in terms of the, you know waking up. I think if you're finding it hard to fall off to sleep, um, then um, you've just got to look. Again, sleep diary is great for that. You look at it and you think, well, maybe I'm, I'm having too much opportunity to sleep. Mm. Maybe my sleep has changed as I'm getting older and maybe I need to go to bed later mm. and get up at the same time. I think the thing... For the key thing um, for sleep is that morning wake up. So mm. keeping it as regular as possible um, mm. and getting a good dose of daylight. You know, that's mm. free. Um, it, the sun does come out sometimes around here. <laughs> um, but, you, you you know, get out for at least half an hour a day, mm. um, ideally in the morning, um, or even have breakfast by a window um, and just, um, you know, cut sort of, experience the daylight um, mm. and that will anchor your circadian rhythm or body clock yep. Um, yep. so that uh, your pattern is more regulated throughout the day. Definitely. Well, thank you so much um, for answering all these questions and shedding okay. a lot of light on this topic. It's very interesting. Thank you so much. No worries. All the best. Right. Thank you for coming on and all the best in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye, Dennis. Bye. Um, right. Bye. Right, uh, um, I'm told that uh, Mandy Gurney is on the line now. Good morning, Mandy. Good morning. Right, now let me just give you an intro. Uh, you're the founder of uh, Millpond Children's Sleep Clinic and an experienced healthcare professional. Uh, and you've been invited. Is that, is that an accurate enough description as to um, what your work in- has entailed and what your experience entails? Yes, so, um, yes, you're right. I'm a, my background is in uh, nursing, midwifery, health visiting, and I set up a, a children's sleep clinic um, nearly 30 years ago. So I've been um, working with babies and teenagers right through to teenager sleep for an incredibly long time. And it's been mm-hmm. a, a very interesting journey, as you can imagine, over those years. Mm. I'm quite surprised uh, that um, one would think that children need advice and guidance uh, about sleep they sleep all the time don't they 
<laughs> well, there's that very uh, well overused term, sleep like a baby, isn't mm. there? So, um, yes, but babies um, often don't sleep that well, as um, parents of newborns know only too well. And uh, mm. I, I definitely experienced that with my son, which is why I got involved in the whole world of sleep in the first place. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's interesting stats speak for themselves. And in fact, um, we know about 64% of teenagers aren't getting the sleep they need. So, you know, it is it is an incredibly challenging issue when you're not sleeping well and it has a massive impact on every area of our lives because you think we spend a third of our lives sleeping. So um, it has to be an incredibly important thing for us to spend so much time doing that. And by the time a child is two, they will have spent 13 months of their life sleeping. So, um, you know, it's got to be important, really. Mm-hmm. So uh, tell us a bit more about Mill Pond. I mean, how, how does it uh, help achieve better sleep for children then? Yeah, so what we do is parents contact us. Uh, they can come to our website, um, and uh, see what we're all about. But everything we do is evidence and medical-based, and uh, we've got, as I said, nearly 30 years of experience doing this. And um, we, what we basically do is support families, um, parents, and um, teenagers with sleep. We um, go through in fine detail. I heard your previous caller talking about sleep diary incredibly important to know what um, children's sleep patterns are like and then we basically tailor a sleep program specifically to the family and I think that's the important thing there's an awful lot of information online on social media and it can be a minefield for parents Um, you know where do they go for help with their child's sleep you know what's best for them and their family that every family is individual and every family will have their own unique sleep patterns. And there's lots of evidence and research to suggest that one of the things we have to take on board is our genes. So we genetically inherit our sleep patterns from our parents. Um, So, you know, it's really important to look at what's right for your child and your family, not compare yourself to other families and other children, really. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I've got a colleague, uh, well, two colleagues who both want to ask questions, if you don't mind. Oh, yes, I love questions. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, good, good morning. Good morning. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, um, what kind of challenges can sleep issues have to families and how can these be overcome, for instance, uh, parents with multiple children? Yes, it's um, bedtime, actually. That's the key starting point for any sleep issue. Um, Having a really good bedtime routine, and again, that's been clinically proven to improve how long it takes a child to fall asleep, the quality of sleep, the length of their sleep. You know, it really is the key fundamental. But if you've got more than one child it can be challenging to work out how to implement a bedtime routine where you might have three or four children. You know, what? how do you do that? And having a calm um, lead up to bedtime is absolutely vital for all of us, whether you're, you know, three, 33, 63, however old you are, you need a calm, calm wind down because it's, it's as much about your brain being able to switch off at bedtime as your body. So how do you do that when you've got a number of children? So one of the things to think about is how much sleep do children need at different ages to function well and reach their potential on health, 
emotions, education, all of those areas. So what we know from research is that there is an average amount of sleep that children will have at different ages. So younger children obviously need more sleep. Older children, as you know, children get older, the amount of sleep they have slowly declines. But also we've got to be thinking about babies may not have as much overnight sleep as maybe their toddler siblings. So you might say have a six-month-old baby, average overnight sleep is about 11 hours, whereas you might have a three-year-old whose average overnight sleep is about 12 hours. So it's thinking about how much sleep do does your child need, thinking about what time are they getting up in the morning to get ready for nursery or school, and then working out what their bedtime is based on all of those factors. And then thinking, which order do we put the children to bed? But the bedtime routine should be very short. I think a lot of the problem is parents spend too long getting their children ready for bed. Mm. And if you think, well, my child, I want my child to be asleep about 8 o'clock, for example, I wouldn't even start getting them ready for bed until about 20 past 7. Quick little five-minute bath, not hours splashing around in the bath and then getting a second wind and then being surprised why children can't go to sleep going straight from the bedroom to the bath from the bathroom sorry to the bedroom because if you go back into the living room the toys are there the tv's there children will get a second wind they'll also get confusing messages about where the bedtime routine is going so you go straight from the bathroom to the bedroom a couple of little stories cuddle kiss goodnight they should be asleep about 15 minutes later but the lead up to bedtime is crucial to be quiet, dim light, minimal interaction. So just parents keeping their voices very low key, not having in-depth conversations or chats during the bedtime routine. And all of those little factors will really, really help children to fall asleep. But I would have a kind of sit down and work out your strategy. You know, which child needs to go to bed at what time? Let's do a quick routine for each one of them and then it will work so much more smoothly. Great. Thank you so much for that, Mandy. Um, I had uh, one question regarding adolescence. Quite often what we find is that um, a lot of the teenagers uh, nowadays, they spend too much time on tablets or on their phones. So even when uh, everyone's asleep, they'll probably be on their phones and uh, probably sleep really late as well. And that affects them waiting up for school the next day. So how can we monitor um, teenagers? Well, that's an, a, a very good question, actually. And uh, I think, yeah, phones are the main issue in terms of teenagers not getting the sleep they need. And, uh, you know, some of them are functioning on about four hours sleep a night. So, you know, it is really, really challenging. Um, it, it's a difficult one. I mean, what we say to parents is when your child is young enough, start having some guidelines about what happens with phones in the evening you know you can buy boxes that everybody puts their phones into the box gets locked up put away for the night the phones come out in the morning so it's starting these habits early on while you still can influence your child's behavior Mm. it's also parents setting examples because if parents are constantly on their phone then 
even very young children think, well, that's got to be important because my mum and dad spend so much time on that thing. What is it? You know, it's got to be significant. Um, and if the parents are taking their phones into the bedroom, you know, why would their children think there was anything wrong in that? So, you know, starting habits early on, um, possibly having a Wi-Fi curfew so it gets turned off. Mm. Um, you know, you set it to go off at a set time. So, um, but it, it is a challenge, but it's talking to young people about the significance of sleep, how much better they will function, how it impacts their education, their emotions, their physical health. Um, you know, going through all of that and hope they start making some decisions themselves about limiting their time on their phones at bedtime and overnight. But it's a challenge. Great, thank you so much for that. Uh, my my colleague also has uh, one more question to ask you, so I'm just going to pass pass the mic to him. Uh, hi there, Mandy. Uh, hi. May peace be upon you. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We really appreciate you um, sparing some time and shedding some light on this topic. Um, the topic that we actually had, and I think this question ties up with it perfectly. Um, uh, some parents with young children have quite broken sleep. Um, uh, so th- the question is: Is it more uh, is it more important to have quantity of sleep, or is it better to have quality of sleep? Yeah, that, that's a very good question. Um, it's both, to be honest. Um, there are certain conditions that mean your sleep is um, more fragmented. Mm-hmm. Um, things like obstructive sleep apnea. Um, where you appear to be in bed for long, long periods of time. You appear to be asleep, but because you're getting restriction in your airway, you're waking fractionally all through the night. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the following day, you are absolutely exhausted, and that can Mm -hmm. go on and on and on and on if left untreated. Children can have that condition, and so can adults. So you appear to have been in bed for hours and hours, but your sleep quality is really poor. Um, And obviously, if your child is waking up, parents will be woken as well because that's inevitable. Um, So, but if you can catch up on a little bit of sleep in the day, um, that will help you to see you through that, having a 20-minute nap, Mm -hmm. if at all possible. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is both, really. Um, In some respects, your quality of sleep is more important than quantity really mm-hmm. well thank you so much for shedding some light on that um, just just one final question for myself um, and that's regarding I think the, the, the previous caller uh, Miss Jenner uh, she touched upon it as well um, and it was regarding heat and uh, the possibility of heat actually disturbing your sleep so um, would you, would you, do you think a cool environment is, is, is better for a better night's sleep oh 100% um, you know we've got to think about where we've evolved from you know, we were hunters and gatherers for more time on the earth than we've lived how we do mm, now. Yep. And the two triggers for melatonin, the sleep hormone, is dim light that we mm. all know about. But the other one is a drop in our core body temperature. Okay. So we need a drop in our core body temperature alongside dim light to help trigger melatonin. So if you think about what happens when the sun goes down, it gets darker and cooler. Mm. And nature was very, very clever in saying it's night time now switch off serotonin, you now need melatonin to make you feel sleepy. So, you know, you've got to go back to where we evolved from in the first place. It's only in the last probably 60, 70 years that 
um, we've lived like we do. And, and, you know, I'm old enough to remember as a child it being absolutely freezing with no no radiators in my bedroom. Um, You know, so it's not that long in time that we've slept the way we do. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, we all sleep better. Think cave-like. The best Mm. place to sleep would be in a cave. Dark, quiet, cool. (laughs) That's the kind of environment you want to create. Absolutely. No, th- thank you so much, man, uh, Miss Mandy, for uh, shedding some light on that. Um, I know our uh, uh, listeners would have benefited greatly from your um, extremely important information regarding sleep. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure, pleasure. I, lo- I love talking about sleep, so any opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank, thanks, well, thanks, thank you. Take care. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you so much. Bye. Bye. Great. Uh, uh, so that was uh, Mandy uh, on the line and I th- we do have one final interview uh, so I had the chance uh, over the week to interview uh, Bridget Jensen who is an experienced sleep consultant from the organization Better Bedtime so we're just going to listen to that So we have with us today at the Voice of Islam radio station Bridget Benson and you're an experienced sleep consultant from Better Bedtime based in Canada and your work is dedicated to helping families and individuals get quality sleep. And you're also a member and director of the Association of Professional Sleep Consultant. Thank you for joining us today at the Voice of Islam radio station. Thank you for having me. So first off, I've mentioned that um, you work as a sleep consultant for Better Bedtime. Can you explain what, uh, what this, uh, this is, Better Bedtime? Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting type of service. So we're a team of women who help people with their sleep. So for the last almost nine years, we've helped people of all ages with their sleep challenges. So um, that usually looks on one-on-one counseling, either in-home or virtually. And then we offer sleep clinics and group sessions as well online all over the world and also in person um, at businesses as well. And if you can also explain, how does genetics, lifestyle, health, how do they all affect sleep? I'm glad you mentioned that because sometimes we can feel like our sleep challenges are our own fault or something we did or didn't do. Um, but often there is a major role in your gen- like that your genetics would play, so how your parents sleep might have an impact on how you sleep, even their habits or their perspectives on sleep would be something that you would take on as well. And then we really focus on what we can control. So timing of your sleep, how does your sleep space look? What do you eat before bed or drink before bed? And how do you respond when you wake up in the night to your waking? Those are the areas we focus on. If someone has a curiosity they may have a sleep disorder or something really wrong with them they should speak with their doctor or their caregiver Um, but we really focus on uh, lifestyle changes we call it sleep hygiene so just again those things that you can control around your sleep fantastic thank you so much for that and can you also tell us what sleep training is and in your view is it important for all parents to embark on this journey for children under the age of one? Mm. Not all parents, I would say. So sleep training is when you make changes to your child's sleep in a hope to improve it. So usually that means a big change in how you put your baby to bed, 
maybe how you respond to them. It might even be a change in timing because we will get clients that their baby won't go to sleep until midnight, as example. And so we will encourage them to bring bedtime much earlier. So sleep training means making changes and going through usually quite a rigorous routine to get better sleep. So to answer your question, no, not every parent needs this. In fact, many children sleep well and never need sleep training. Of course, we don't hear from those parents, but they exist. Or some will say, I I don't want to do sleep training. It feels uncomfortable for me or it feels like not in line with the type of parent I am. So instead, I won't. And they'll just hope that the child will outgrow their sleep challenges instead of sleep training. Also, I wanted to ask you, do you find that parents who change their children from breast to bottle after the age of one may be able to get longer stretch of sleep at night? No, and I'm glad you asked that too, because that is a, a common misconception is that if you either start solids earlier or switch to a bottle instead of breast, you will get better sleep. And that is just not the case. The only way I would say that would be true is if there's a problem with breastfeeding supply, not making enough milk. But even then, that would be worth having lactation consultant or doctor help you with breastfeeding. So I wouldn't want anyone to give up on breastfeeding for the hope of better sleep. Usually we can make really great changes with sleep and still continue to be able to breastfeed your baby. Thank you so much for that. And I think one more question from from me is that often parents with new children, they suffer from insomnia as a consequence of taking care of their young ones. Is it harmful and how can a parent ensure their needs of sleep are met whilst taking care of their children's sleep needs such as feeding them? Yeah, that's a great question too. So we, long-term insomnia, and so insomnia means really bad, you know, difficulty sleeping for over three months. So many parents would say, yes, that's me. And so your anything in your home can impact your sleep, a pet, a child, a relative, you know, anything that goes there. So if there's something in your home, including, including children, who are waking you up, keeping you up in the night, that's a big reason why we do encourage sleep training or make a change with sleep because if your little ones are sleeping well, then that gives you space to sleep well. However, every age group of a baby or child will carry challenges in the night. Like a new, brand new baby, zero to four months, needs a lot of attention all night long. And so what somebody could do in that position is... If you have another helper in the home, whether it be a partner, a relative, or someone you trust to try to take a bit of a shift, maybe they they take from 8 until 11 p.m., just as an example, so that you can get some rest, and just trying to, in in those months, focus on the basics, which is, um, of course, diapers, feeding, and sleeping, and that's for everyone, just, just really keeping it basic. But then as the months go on and your baby grows and gains weight and becomes like a toddler, it can be really um, tempting and, and seem impossible, right, to be in this position where we just let it go and we let them be up all night or we let them fight bedtime and they just won't sleep and then we don't sleep. But I would encourage any parent listening or any caregiver listening who has a child who's running the house at bedtime or up all the night, definitely reach out because that you, there's many things you can do. And sometimes it's things we will change and don't want you to do that will help your baby or your child sleep well so that you can sleep well. Great. Thank you so much, uh, Bridget Benson, for joining us 
today and uh, sharing your expertise on this particular subject. So uh, that was um, Bridget uh, Jensen, and uh, you know it's very interesting uh, listening to our experts on this uh, particular topic as well. Um, it, it it links so well with Islam as well when we look at the you know you were mentioning earlier Jalis that if you look at the life of the Prophet peace be upon him you know he instructed uh, that you know you should lie on your right side but also we see from his own example um, that he generally went to bed very early and he got mm. up after midnight to offer his voluntary prayers mm-hmm. taking a nap again in the forenoon and uh, some people assert that it is advisable to go to bed late and get mm-hmm. up late but this practice is unsound and unnatural unnatural as well mm-hmm. um, and we find that if we look at animals and the birds they get up early in the morning and a Muslim is commanded to get up early in the morning to say his prayers and this is the pac- practice is natural as well as healthy mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know you've mentioned that uh, point that you know sleeping on your back is unhealthy as well mm. um, but also uh, we see that uh, another aspect I wanted to mention that the Prophet himself he enjoined upon Muslims to also write, recite and meditate upon the text of the verse and the verses of the Holy Quran and he specifically highlighted the Aytul Kursi and he mm. said that the last three chapters from the Holy Quran they should also be recited before mm. going to bed and these verses they are not recited like a charm um, as as will be seen mm. they deal with the most sublime attributes of God and as such deeply impress the mind of the individual and contemplation of these divine attributes purifies and elevates the soul and one seeks protection with God from all evil ideas and mischievous things and this practice is inter- intelligently carried out becomes a great source of moral strength and uh, I, I know that one of our experts she was talking about siesta yep. <laughs> the thing is if we look at the Holy Quran siesta is mentioned yeah. in the Holy Quran that you know you should uh, you should uh, benefit from that and that is why we see that in Muslim countries mm-hmm. uh, that siesta is very widely observed mm-hmm. Uh, I remember <coughs> going to Spain and seeing in Spain um, during uh, the midday hours, uh, no one was on the streets. Mm-hmm. And you, it's very known that um, most people partake in siesta. Definitely, definitely. I think if we look at the Holy Quran and uh, uh, gain some insight from the Holy Quran, um, it states that, and he it is who has made the night a covering for you and has made sleep for rest and has made the day for rising up. So this is the Holy Quran beautifully expounding um, the roles the day and the night plays. So mm. the night is specifically mentioned for rest and um, relaxation, mm. recuperation to make sure that you are rejuvenated for the day and that you are able to work as hard as you can during the day. So this is the Holy Quran beautifully explaining the roles of each the night and day. Um, there are some people who kind of um, uh, object and say that 
waking up early for prayers might get in the way of their sleep. Mm. Well, I, I, I came across a quote um, of a gentleman named Bill Fish, who is uh, the man- managing director, sorry, managing ed- editor of the Sleep Foundation and is also um, a certified sleep science coach. And he states, while it is recommended to get between seven and nine hours of continuous hours of sleep, that isn't a necessity. Whether it is due to a job, childcare, or faith-based, some sleepers, some sleepers simply aren't able to sleep straight through the allotted time. To feel your best, it is recommended to keep that schedule as tight as possible. If you are waking up for prayer, get to bed at the same time each night. Wake for the necessary prayer and get back to bed and wake up, wake at the same time once again. So this is um, calling about consistency. And this is exactly what Islam preaches. Islam preaches to be moderate, to be consistent in every single deed and action you do. This is something we can definitely benefit from as well. Um, I do believe it was roughly around about the time um, COVID started and uh, our beloved um, Caliph, um, Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmad, May Allah strengthen his hand. His Holiness mentioned in particular the significance of sleep and its impact on the immune system to help fight illness and diseases. Mm. So um, this is something um, sleep also helps with. And uh, our beloved Hazur, um, His Holiness, uh, stressed upon this point during the the roughly around about the beginning of COVID as well. So something we should pay heed and uh, also help. Um, this will also help with our um, uh, physical health as well, uh, as well as our mental health. Great. Right. Okay. Um, I think um, that brings us uh, to a close uh, of this particular, where well, we're approaching the close of this particular broadcast. And uh, it's time to uh, thank <coughs> all those who've participated in uh, the preparation and <coughs> the development of uh, this uh, this broadcast. Um, so uh, our producer, Eamon uh, Usman, is worthy of thanks, as uh, is uh, her training producer, uh, assistant training producer, Faiza. Uh, then uh, Nargis uh, Nasser, of course, is the lead producer. Uh, researchers Hannah Maruch, uh, uh, both of them are also worthy of thanks for their uh, hard work. Um, and then uh, we have in the control room, I forget the name, uh, but uh, uh, Brother Toki uh, uh, <laughs> will tell me who... <laughs> Who that person that must be mentioned because of his uh, yeah, contribution? It's, it's Armagan. Armagan. Okay, so Armagan for making sure that everything as far as uh, the technical side of uh, this broadcast ran uh, smoothly. Uh, thank you to all of uh, all of you, our listeners, for uh, joining. Um, we will have a sh- very short break before the 9 o'clock news, but uh, until next time, it's Salaam Alaikum from all of three of us.